Hello, and welcome to Haunted Hometowns, your weekly true crime paranormal podcast. My name is Blake Lambert-Hack, and I am the host. And this season, I will be covering deaths and hauntings on the high seas. I had a very busy week, so I am excited to be here to discuss not one, but three ghost ships tonight. But before we jump into that, I have to bring up an article I was just reading about a haunted pet shop. And I got excited because ghost pets are fascinating to me. Like, what does this little ghost poodle need to stick around for? Like, what didn't this parrot experience? It's just interesting to me that, like, people see not only human ghosts, but animal ghosts as well. Like, my grandparents had a dog that passed away, and my grandpa swore he heard the little bell on her chain and like it was more sounds but she was definitely there and I think it was probably because you know she was deaf and blind by the time she passed away she was like 18 she was a Westie it was kind of insane but you know she probably just wanted to bring comfort to them and let them know that like hey things are cool pets have feelings too you know but sadly the story is not about ghost pets, even though that's what I thought it was going to be. It was actually a man, like the ghost of a man haunting this pet shop who used to live in the building, I guess. And employees would watch like bags of treats and toys fall off the shelves with no one around. Like they'd be at the cash register ringing somebody up and just like in the back, in the background. Like a toy would fall off the shelf, even though no one else is in the shop. Orbs followed employees in the back room. Dogs that would come in with their owners would refuse to walk down certain aisles or like go in certain areas of the pet shop. And you always know it's there's something going on when a dog is not feeling it or a dog is running away or barking or growling in the corner. You always know. Dogs know. So trust them trust your dogs customers would report seeing shadows and or feeling like tug tugging on their clothes or bags which i've said it before and i'll say it again any kind of physical contact like i mentioned it before but my mom was like brushing her hair and she felt the brush being like pulled down like someone was trying to grab it from her any kind of physicalness like that is like a step in the wrong direction and that ghost needs to chill the fuck out it's rude we don't need it we can live in the same space without having any kind of contact like these incidences were really driving business down so the owner held a seance but i guess it didn't work because people are like are still experiencing these things i mean i would definitely visit and get my pet supplies there you know i'd be a regular but I don't think I could work there. So I'm wishing the owner a happy and successful business. 
I don't think it said where this shop was, but, you know, I hope she does well because ghosts can ruin a business or it could drive up a business. So maybe play into it. I don't know, but we're going to move past that. We're going to get into the episode tonight. We're going to get into the discovery of three ships that disappeared in the Arctic. Now, these are two separate stories because two of the ships disappeared together. The first ship I'm going to talk about is the Octavius, and that's its own story. And then after that, we'll get into the Erebus and the Terror. And how do we feel about ships named after people? Like the Octavius, the Victoria, the Betty, the Keith, whatever the name is. I personally don't know how I feel about it. I don't love people's names on ships. On the flip side, I'm obsessed with the name HMS Terror. Like that's iconic. The Terror. It's so spooky for no reason. Like, I'm in love. But we'll get more into that later. Because I'm going to start with the Octavius. And then we'll move into the exhibition of the Erebus and Terror. So, on October 11th, 1775, a whaling ship, the Herald, discovered a three-mast schooner floating west of Greenland. For those geographically challenged, Greenland is the huge island that mostly sits within the Arctic Circle. West of Greenland is Baffin, which is an island of Canada. Just think, extremely cold. Like Iceland is south of Greenland, so just keep that in mind, like Greenland's farther north. But if I was ever to sail the seas, I'd be on the ship headed south. You will not catch me for work, for travel. Like maybe I'd go to Alaska, but I've said this before. I'm only going to Alaska in the summer. Same with any like too far north Canada cities, like summer only. Otherwise, we're heading south. It just makes the most sense. And you would not catch me trying to break ice to get around so not only is it freezing outside but you have to be in special ships to even break the ice to sail to these places it's insane and on top of that i would never hunt whales they're too precious and vital to the ecosystem if my brother was listening he would definitely agree because he is a zoologist and he works with dolphins and pinnipeds, so he would hop on that boat with me. But anyway, the Herald discovered this random ship and decided to board the schooner because it seemed abandoned, which fell under the derelict marine time law, which is considered property abandoned on waters that has no hope of being recovered. So they probably saw... Like the Herald probably saw dollar signs when they saw this floating ship with no one on it. 
So they sent a five-man crew to row themselves over and check the ship out. This crew boarded the mysterious ship, and as they searched for anything salvageable, since, again, most of the ship was frozen, the five men discovered the entire crew of the Octavius dead, frozen, and preserved below deck. Now, finding a dead body in any sense is traumatic. Finding 28 dead bodies at once takes that up a notch. Finding 28 dead bodies completely frozen and almost perfectly preserved, that's some movie stuff. Like, you'd find that in a movie, and yet here we are, 28 frozen bodies. I guess it could be like... um, the first people who ever entered a pyramid or nearby burial grounds for mummified bodies and they just like open them up and they're like, whoa, this is like a real person, not just bones. The largest city in Greenland is Nuuk, N-U-U-K, I think that's how you pronounce it, which sits on the southwest side of the island. In October, the high is around 30 degrees Fahrenheit, and the lows sits around 19 degrees Fahrenheit. That's today. It was probably colder in the 1700s, and it was probably colder in the middle of the ocean instead of on land. One of my favorite inventions is a water heater. So again, I would not do very well on this voyage. My two favorite inventions of all time, water heater, because I take long hot showers, and AC, air conditioning, because in the summer, I'm not sweating. No. The Octavius was an English ship sent to the east in 1761 to probably deliver goods or to do some kind of trading. It wasn't very clear what the crew was tasked with. However, the Octavius successfully arrived to its destination the following year. And the best guess is like modern day Indonesia or China, somewhere on the east coast of Asia, because instead of returning to England the same way they got there, the captain chose to take a more risky route. However, if successful, it would be a shorter trip. I don't know if the captain was ready for retirement or if he had a gender reveal party to get to, who knows, but he was pressed to get home. So instead of sailing around Africa, they took the Northwest Passage that took them north, sailing by, you know, up the coast of Asia by Japan, and then between Russia and Alaska. And they followed the shores of Alaska as it veers east, and were meant to sail through the northern islands of Canada around the southern tip of Greenland and into England. However, the crew didn't survive long enough after rounding Alaska, so we they didn't even get to the islands of Canada. The crew froze to death, and somehow the ship made its way all the way to Greenland without a crew to steer it. <laughs> 
Now that's insane. Not only is it far, but as I talked about with the Mary Celeste, like ships can travel far distances. You know, they're buoyant. As long as there isn't like in like crazy weather, they'll float along and follow the wind and the currents and stuff and can travel far distances if nobody finds it. But not only is this far, but there's tons of islands and ice up there. That's one of the biggest, not only the crew being frozen to death, but just how the ship got to where it was is a huge mystery in itself. Because remember, the Herald didn't discover the Octavius until 1775. That's 13 years after the last ship log of the Octavius. When the five men of the Herald discovered the frozen crew, they also discovered the captain frozen in his cabin, sitting at his desk with a pen in hand and the captain's log in front of him. In the cabin also sat a frozen woman, child, and sailor holding a tinderbox, which is, the tinderbox is what is meant to keep them warm. But I guess it didn't do the trick because they were all frozen. The five men only took the captain's log, and when they examined it on board the Herald, they discovered the last log was from November 11th, 1762. Unfortunately, because of the log being frozen and water damage, only the first and last few pages were still intact. The last coordinates logged were about 250 miles north of Point Barrow, Alaska. So in the morning, after the crew of the Herald read over the captain's log and discussed what to do next, they went to board the Octavius However, the ship was gone, and the ship has never been seen again. So let's just take that in. We have a ship with a crew that froze by Alaska. Somehow that ship floated all the way through the Arctic Circle, making its way to Greenland 13 years later being found by this ship called the Herald. The crew discovers the frozen bodies. They go to sleep and the next morning it vanishes. What's more paranormal than that? I don't know. But because of this incident, a lot of people don't believe the Octavius was a real ship. And there are bits of the story that seem hard to believe, like the biggest one being the crew froze to death by Alaska and were found by Greenland, like I was saying. But regardless of how long it took the ship to get to Greenland, it's not like it's open sea between the two places, like I was saying. That ship would have had to navigate their many islands of Canada, making sure they didn't hit land, making sure they didn't hit ice or a reef. And let's say the ship is real. I don't believe the entire crew froze to death at once. So maybe the captain and a few others froze to death by Alaska after the captain wrote down his final log. And the rest of the crew 
decides to continue on the path and try to get home as fast as they can. As they navigate the islands north of Canada, the crew slowly dies. And one by one, they freeze to death. Falling asleep only to never wake up again. And maybe the small crew does get the ship to Baffin Bay between Greenland and Canada before also succumbing to, you know, harsh wit- harsh weather. I don't think it's hard to believe that the ghost ship would slowly drift south and not be discovered for years, disappearing in the middle of the night to never be seen again. It's a little iconic. Iconery. There's nothing more mysterious. Like, I dream to be this mysterious. To show up with something no one's ever seen before and then disappear as fast as you show up, like... I'm obsessed. Let me know what you think. I'm curious because it it is a short story. We don't have a lot of details, mainly because of how long ago it was and also how vague or, you know, how mysterious the ship is showing up and disappearing just like that. And nobody has anything other than the captain's log. And that's even damaged or now lost. So maybe it is just uh, folklore like the Flying Dutchman, but what a tale to tell. What a story to make up if it is. I wouldn't... I I could see it being real. I think that maybe if they were worried about freezing to death, maybe they would find some place in Canada to, you know run the ship aground or dock or port or whatever or in Alaska and try to save their lives but at the same time you know it's so long ago there probably weren't many people if you know it's probably just natives living in the area and they don't speak English and I don't know I'm sure they were they didn't have a lot of options part of me feels like maybe turning the ship around and going south back towards Japan or California or something would be better. But yeah, let me know what you think. And we are, I'm going to, we're going to take a quick break now before I get into a more in-depth story about the other two ships. So I will be right back with another Arctic discovery. So let's get into the Franklin expedition that included ships HMS Erebus and HMS Terror. These ships had a lot in common and had they've served together for a long time before their final expedition. However, they had they did have lives before coming together and going through these things. So Terror was a specialized warship and bomb vessel made by the Royal Navy in 1813 for the War of 1812. 
just so you all know I'm not crazy and understand that 13 comes after 12, the War of 1812 lasted till 1815. Just so we understand what's going on. And maybe a better name for the war should be proposed, but that's where we're at. And the terror participated in many of the battles, including the Battle of Baltimore. After her many years in battle, terror was turned into a polar exploration ship. Now I gotta ask, did someone ask if terror wanted to be a polar exploration ship? Because to go from war vessel to polar exploration ship, that's a big career change, and I hope she was okay with it. But during this time of terror transitioning to polar exploration, the Erebus was constructed by the Royal Navy in 1826, and she was built as a bomb vessel as well. However, the Erebus spent time in the Mediterranean Sea while Terror went on its first polar expedition in 1836. These warships were perfect for polar exploration because they were already outfitted to be sturdy, you know, for the heavy mortars and the bombs they were carrying and, you know, casual wartime stuff. So that made their hull perfect to withstand the ice that they had to break the lovely sea ice. So in 1836, Captain George Back set up an expedition to the Arctic to see if Boothia, Canada was an island or a peninsula. At this point, most of the islands up there and the area north of Canada was undiscovered. The Northwest Passage wasn't fully mapped out yet. The West had done some exploring just west of Greenland, and the East had done some exploring just east of Alaska slash Russia, but the middle was very undetermined. So with that in mind, it seems ridiculous that the Octavius would even attempt that route in 1760s. However, Captain Back and the Terror were trying to map more of the route out 70 to 80 years after Octavius attempted it and failed. Captain, it's wild that ships even tried to cross that when there's not even mapping. And then no one even tried mapping the area until at least 70 years later. Like, it just doesn't seem like a good route. As shitty as it sounds, you're just going to have to go around South America or around Africa. It's just, I I say that, but then, you know, the Flying Dutchman is hanging out at the south of Africa. And then you have the Bermuda Triangle between North and South America. So I say that, but who really knows what the best route is? Captain Back's exploration of the Arctic in 1836 didn't go very well terror got trapped in ice and never made its destination to that island slash peninsula she was trapped in ice for 10 months that crew had to live on that ship for 10 months in that weather 
and hoping and praying that the ice would melt or like shift to free the terror and hoping that you have enough food to keep you alive. That's so much risk. Just for a route, that's not a good idea. I just, I don't know what these people are. Maybe they, they're adventure seekers. I get it. They're risk takers. Good for them. Couldn't be me. In the spring of 1837, Tara was struck by an iceberg further damaging the ship, but she was free from the ice and on her way back home. However, Tara was in bad shape and in sinking condition as she crossed the Atlantic. So Captain Back beached her on Ireland on September 21st, and a crew came to fix Tara enough to get the ship to a naval yard where she could be fully repaired. A couple years later, Tara was hired again for an expedition However, instead of the Arctic, she would be traveling to the Antarctic. It's not much better. It's just as cold. <laughs> this poor ship. And that uh, expedition was under the overall command of Captain James Clark Ross. But the captain of the terror was Francis Crozier while Ross captained Erebus. So this is when the two ships come together. The Terror and Erebus spent three seasons surveying Antarctica and naming discoveries after Ross and the two ships they used for the exploration. I've said it before, the English aren't very clever in the naming of in the naming department, whether it's children's names, or in this case, parts of Antarctica. Like we have, now we're stuck with the Ross Sea, Ross Island, Mount Terror, and Mount Erebus. Like, okay, name one thing after you, that's great, but like, the island of Ross sounds a little more appealing than Ross Island. I don't know. Mount Terror and Mount Erebus are like volcanoes in the Antarctic. So Mount Terror is kind of cool. But on the positive side, the exploration was a huge success. They mapped out part of the area, collected oceanographic data, botanical specimens, and discovered new animals. They conducted magnetism studies, discovered dormant volcanoes. Everything went so well, books were released with their findings when they returned home. We have, quote, the botany of the Antarctic voyage of H.M. Discovery ships Erebus and Terror in the years 1839 to 1843 under the command of Captain Sir James Clark Ross, unquote. What a title. Just hearing that title, you just know you're not doing light reading. The botany 
of the Antarctic voyage of HM Discovery ships Erebus and Terror in the years 1839 to 1843 under the command of Captain Sir James Clark Ross. Far too long. How are you ever going to put that on the spine of a book? Far too long. However, if you're looking for another great book to check out from your local internet, you can read, quote, The Zoology of the Voyage of HMS Terror, Terror in Erebus, Birds of New Zealand, unquote. That sounds a little more thrilling to me, but maybe that's just because animal books usually have better pictures. Like, I'd read Birds of New Zealand and the zoology of the voyage of Erebus and Terror. Like, that sounds a little appealing. New animals? Sure. And because of the success of the Ross expedition, Sir John Franklin decided to captain Erebus and Terror for his own expedition to... You guessed it, the Arctic. So Terra's headed back to the Arctic. This time, both ships were outfitted with iron plating on their hulls, steam engines, and 12 days supply of coal. So they were like, the first time didn't go so well, so let's add a few things to make her a little better. But it still doesn't seem like enough. Like, I get that, you know, iron plating is good for breaking ice and stuff. Steam engine and 12-day of coal, keeping the heat up. Warm engines, great. Still doesn't seem like enough for the Arctic. The goal of this trip was to complete a crossing of the Northwest Passage, which, once again, has not been completely charted. So the first voyage that Terra went in the Arctic that was a failure, they were just trying to see if one part of that mapped out section was a peninsula or an island. So whether they could sail around it both ways or sail around it one way, that's all they were trying to do and it was a failure. This time, they're trying to do the entire Northwest Passage and map out the entire passage. It's a very big undertaking, and it seems like he may be out of his league, but we'll find out. The two ships sailed west around Greenland and into Baffin Bay on the west side of the island. You know, where where Octavius was found. Two whaling vessels spotted Erebus and Terror entering the bay, toward the Northwest Passage in August of 1845. However, that would be the last time anyone ever saw the two ships and their crew. August of 1845. So you know some bad shit's coming. I'll tell you now, it's not as mysterious as Octavius, but... The fact that two whaling vessels spotted Erebus and Terror in the same location Octavius was found, it's a little coincidental, but you know. Since the ships hadn't returned home when they were supposed to, or even just sent word that their expedition was still underway, a massive search ensued. 
It wasn't until 1850, five years later, when a search party stumbled upon the route Captain Franklin took the ships. And the search team found traces of a camp on Beachy Island. And this was completely by mistake. Like, they weren't, like, they were searching for the ship in a last-ditch effort, but they weren't sure which route they took, and they just completely stumbled upon this camp on this island where they found the graves of three sailors from Erebus and Terror. Nearby the camp was a 656-foot ridge, so to get a better view of the surroundings, Captain McClure from one of the search vessels climbed the ridge and again by accident discovered the Northwest Passage. It's a wide channel stretching to the west. More search parties were launched, but nothing came of them, and the government officially declared the crew dead. However, Mrs. Franklin continued to pay for private search parties. And I'd hate to be a captain's wife. I'm sure captains made a decent amount of money, especially if you were part of, you know, the Royal Navy or whatever they were part of, you know, government money. But your man is gone for years at a time at this point. Years. Maybe women back then were thrilled about it, though, because they got to do whatever they wanted. They had more freedom. But today... I would not entertain that today. No, ma'am. Eventually it was revealed by natives of the Arctic, the Inuit, that the two ships became icebound and were abandoned by their crews. The 130 men all died from a variety of causes. Hypothermia, of course, scurvy, starvation, lead poisoning, botulism, and like a number of other things. You name it, they prob- one of them probably died of it. Some of the crew's bodies were discovered on King William Island, which is pretty far into the Northwest Passage, but also off track from where they were supposed to go. When the autopsies were performed, it was discovered that some of the crew resorted to cannibalism. And I can't blame them. You know, it's hard to fathom being in a situation where you have to come to that. But we've seen it before with uh, one of the airplanes that crashed in the mountains and they're stuck in this snow-covered mountain and have not, like, the only way to survive is cannibalism and it's horrible to think about but if I'm in a situation with like, like that and I'm with a bunch of people and I'm dying eat my body to survive my body is not serving any other purpose now I'm an organ donator it's the same same thing if I die my organs it can be given to somebody else do it they're not helping anybody sitting in the ground or being burned to ashes or whatever. 
Like if I'm in a tragedy and people around me need me to help sustain them for another week or whatever, go for it. I know that's easier said than being the person that's not dead doing it, but you know. Even though some of the crew was discovered, the ships were lost to sea. So 130 men are supposed to be dead. They haven't found all 130 men, of course. So maybe some of them are with the ships. Maybe they went into parties to try to find help. No one for sure, but... On the 1st of October 2014, it was announced that the wreck of Erebus was discovered. The recovery of the ship's bell solidified their suspicions that it was Erebus. Two years after that, the wreck of Terror was discovered in Terror Bay, just west of King William Island. In 2019, Canadian officials greenlit a dive to recover any artifacts from Erebus. Most of what they discovered were personal items from the crew. Exploration of the wreck sites are still scheduled to take place. They've been postponed, of course, due to COVID, but there's still a chance more will be discovered and learned about this tragic event almost 180 years later. England has just asked that any remains discovered be sent to them, as well as any gold, of course. But the rest belongs to Canada and the Inuit people, the natives of the area. We may never know the exact sequence of events that led to the death of 130 seamen, but... Evidence is slowly starting to change, at least the ideas historians had about the wrecks. Erebus is in bad shape, like the ship is starting to fall apart. However, Terror is mostly intact. The deck and interior spaces are largely intact on Terror, and she was found 62 miles south of where historians thought she was which calls into question what actually happened when the ships were icebound. For years, it was thought that the crew decided their best bet at surviving was to walk out the Arctic to, like, walk south to Hudson Bay Company trading post because of where terror was found and the use of their anchor, historians now believe that terror tried to sail away from that area. And there's a horror TV show called The Terror, which is a take on the Franklin Expedition. And it's a great show. You should definitely watch it. But because we don't really know what happened to the crew, the show, based on the Dan Simmons novel of the same name, not only shows the crew dying from harsh weather and other tragic circumstances, like I was saying, but the crew is also being stalked by some kind of menace. I don't think we learn what's hunting the crew in the TV show, but honestly, there could be some truth to that. 
If these crew members were on the brink of death, who's to say a polar bear didn't wander up and find easy pickings? It's no different to being in a life raft and falling into the water, getting too close to the edge and like sharks circling. You know, there are just some animals that, you know, survival instincts and the Arctic is not polluted with a lot of dinner options for polar bears. So when there's some weak meat in front of you, what are you going to do? And we could get even more paranormal like the show did and suggest some kind of monster lives in the Arctic. I mean, we don't really know what lives there. It's wildly undiscovered to this day, just like the oceans. So honestly, anything could be living in the snowy, mountainous Arctic and and Antarctica. We still do have questions about these ships, like... Why were they abandoned when it's been proven that you have better luck on a ship even though it's stuck in ice? Obviously, the captain gave the orders to abandon the ships, but for what reason? Was he afraid that it would sink? Did he think they were closer to an outpost than they actually were? Did he think he could live with Eskimos until they could figure their next step? Who knows? More seamen and captains need to have diaries. That's my takeaway at this point. If you're traveling anywhere and there's any kind of... You know, today it's easier. We have phones, Twitter, social media. We can... You know, social media is like a diary. But back then, come on. We need answers you're going on a dangerous trip a dangerous adventure adventure if there's any kind of risk at all bring a diary we saw how Anne frank's diary turned out wildly popular that's not an adventure but writing a diary and living the way she did was huge highly risky i just wish more of these captains had diaries Erebus and Terror may not be ghost ships per se, but I would bet those crew members haunt the shit out of King William Island. Imagine being a diver exploring the Terror over 100 years after it sank, and you can barely see at that depth, and you have that little flashlight on your mask, and you turn the corner while you're slowly swimming through the ship and are confronted with, like, a semen ghost. You can't panic because you're underwater and inside a wreck, so there's no easy out. You either have to keep swimming through the wreck hoping you don't see any more ghosts, or you freeze and slowly float your way to the surface. And the Inuit people also believe in ghosts. They believe that ghosts make their appearance known by whistling and singing in the ears of people to ask for food. Picture that. If I ever hear whistling and I don't see someone whistling, I'm running. Or I'll offer food. Because if that's all they're asking for, sure, I'll give them food. That's fine. But no, 
whistling and singing in my ear. I should be the only one singing. They also believe that there's guardian spirits that look after children and grandchildren that are named after dead, after the dead relative. I think there could be ghosts living underwater in the ships that sank. I talk about in the first season, the ship that sank in the Chicago River and people still see faces in the Chicago River, like screaming for help after, you know, for the people who drowned. I could see a, a ship at the bottom of the ocean, mainly intact, and that's why I said the terror, you know, a ghost walking through the intact ship. Or maybe it's they're walking on the seafloor thinking it's an intact ship, but I could see it. An extra layer of creepy... But I like that the native people of this area don't view ghosts as like a scary thing. They just view them as spirits that need help or as guardian spirits. And that they name them after dead relatives as if like family members are are looking after live ancestors. It's sweet. I like that. But there we have it. Three ships that met their tragic endings in the Arctic. Octavius may be floating around to this day. Who knows? Or stuck in ice. Or maybe she sank and is waiting to be discovered with its frozen crew still aboard. I wonder how that works. Maybe if it froze in the Arctic and sank, the bodies would still be frozen. Or, because they're submerged, there'd be a lot of decay. If you know that answer, please let me know. I'm curious. And then we have Erebus and Terror, which finally have been discovered within the last few years. But the mystery still surrounds the ships. We still don't know too much about them. We still don't know what happened to all of their men. Their bodies may be lost forever. But thanks for tuning in. You can follow Haunted Hometowns on social media for photos related to each episode. As in, I will post photos of these ships, of the Northwest Passage, the Arctic. Maybe I'll post a photo of Ross Island in the Antarctica. But I'll post photos, previous guest info, and definitely upcoming news. If you'd like more true crime paranormal stories, make sure you hit that subscribe button to stay up to date. And if you'd like your ghost story read on the podcast, email me at hauntedhometownspodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram. Could be anything from picture frames of your great aunt continually falling off the wall to a sea monster's tentacle dragging you out to sea after throwing your trash in the ocean. Let me know, and I will meet y'all back here in a week because everyone loves a ghost story. (laughs) 
The music is by Tyre. Follow him on Instagram at Queer Pop Star. The artwork is by Pepe Munoz. Follow him on Instagram at Pepe Munoz. P-E-P-E-M-U-N-O-Z. I got my information from Wikipedia. Ghost Ships by Angus Constam and Oceanwide Expeditions.